crowdfunding, social media, influencer marketing, HSN, brick and mortar sales. We talk about it all in this interview with the founder of The Big Squeeze. In the next 20 minutes, you'll learn from the successes and from the mistakes that they've made over the past several years. Welcome to another episode of the Harvest Growth Podcast. We're focused on helping consumer product companies, inventors, and entrepreneurs harvest the growth potential of their product businesses. And today, I'm really excited to speak with Steve Galante. He's the founder of The Big Squeeze. You can check it out at bigsqueeze.com. We'll get into more about what his product is and his story behind it as well. It's done by the company that he owns called Product Evolutions. Well, Steve, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on today. Thanks, John. If you could, for our audience, for those who haven't heard of the Big Squeeze yet, describe what it is and what it does. Sure, sure. It's a uh, ergonomic tube squeezer. Uh, it allows people to get everything out of either a plastic or metal tube. People aren't aware, but you're actually wasting quite a bit, anywhere from 10 to 25% in some cases uh, in tubes. And so, you know, you can squeeze it out, you know, pinch it or rub it along edges of a uh, um, you know, counter, and that works great. Uh, a lot of times, but when it comes to metal tubes, especially, uh, you need a tool to really push everything out. And it's just easier and saves time. So uh, I came up with a, an ergonomic model because the ones that I've, I've seen on the, on, on the market were just very cumbersome to use and uh, just didn't do the job. So what are the most common products that people use the big squeeze for? Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, everybody says, of course, toothpaste, uh, but the real value is in uh, higher cost products. And, and those would be, uh, you know, um, pharmaceuticals, oil paints, uh, cosmetics, um, and uh, hair dyes, actually, for hairstylists. They go through a, a lot of, of use uh, on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I think there's, I'm envisioning that there's two basic types of squeezing products. There's the really cheap ones that we can all think back to the plastic ones, just for toothpaste, right? That are chintzy, break all the time maybe don't squeeze so well. And then like you said, some very expensive ones that are used for squeezing, you know, paints, cosmetics, et cetera. Uh, how is yours different? I guess, how is it better than these competitors? Sure. I was really focusing on ergonomics uh, and ease of use. You know, um, there's been a product, uh, what, I, what started all was the tube ringer. It's been around since the seventies. Uh, I found out about it because my dad's a dentist and he used it in his dental office. And we actually had one growing up. So uh, it works uh, It works well, but it, 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 I found it very difficult to use. Uh, the spent tube actually runs into your knuckles and it just was uh, annoying. And, um, and it's just ergonomic. It just wasn't comfortable in your hands. It puts your hands in, a, in an awkward position. So I wanted to, I thought of like the, two, uh, the, the can opener. Everybody knows how to use a can opener. I wanted the same kind of ergonomics, but as a tube squeezer. And also uh, very few people knew or knows, uh, know about the, the tube ringer. And so I want to make something that was fun to use, fun colors. It felt it worked well and, and, it, and it had the ergonomics that made it feel like it, it fit in your hand really nicely. Oh, great. And so I, I know a little bit about your background. So you're, a, you're an engineer by trade and you know, develop, to develop this product, that side you, you get. The marketing side, we'll talk a bit more about that uh, as we go through the conversation, is, is what you had to learn along the way. One of the first things you did to really get this off the ground was a Kickstarter campaign just a few years ago, back in, in 2017. 
tell our audience a little bit about how that went and, and what you learned, both the upfront phase as well as afterwards, how you moved into to, to grow beyond Kickstarter. Sure. Uh, Kickstarter, um, it, it was, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into a Kickstarter just to get started and, um, uh, and, and a lot of money. Like you really need a good video and, and I um, uh, definitely spent some money on that. Um, probably in retrospect, I would have liked to try to scale down uh, and been a little bit more cost conscious, uh, but it is important to get the video right and, and get it out there. Um, you know, it's kind of nerve wracking, you know, you're putting your, you're putting everything out there and, and you just don't know how you, how it's going to work. You have to get sales fast and furious. You have to get your network, you know, you don't just turn it on and hope that people come there. You have to have sales ready to go. Have ever have talked to all people, your, your friends, your coworkers, your family, and, and really get it out there and preferably, you know, have like a couple hundred people ready to buy within the first hour because it's that attraction. The other thing was I priced it too high. And so uh, even though I was successful at it, I, I priced it too high and, and didn't drive uh, the large, or sorry, it was the goal. The goal should have been a much lower goal. I think I had it at like, I don't know, $25,000. It should have been like $5,000. And if you set your goal lower as dollar, dollar amount and you hit it sooner, then uh, it starts to uh, just snowball. Um, so yeah. that was the challenging part. It's like trying to get to that goal. And so, um, uh, that would be my biggest suggestion is do not price it too high. You might need more money than what your, your goal is, but, um, the sooner you hit it, the sooner your success and this, and people want to jump on the bandwagon when it's a successful product. Nobody yeah. wants, to, yeah. wants to kind of be a part of a product that's kind of going to make it, you know, you really want to be on the exciting part of, of hitting that goal. Yeah, no, especially in Kickstarter, because they know if it doesn't hit the goal, typically in a lot of campaigns, it doesn't launch at all, right? You get your money back as the investor or the, the contributor in the Kickstarter campaign. So yeah, for sure. You want to hit that. There's so many people that wait in the wings like, hey, really cool product. Let me watch it. And when it hits the goal, then I'll jump in and invest. That's where it really steamrolls that growth. I think a couple other things I'd like to talk about the address. So one is the, the cost of the video. So within Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaigns, as you mentioned, it's so important to have a high quality video. I think what I like about your video particularly is it's it can be repurposed. And I've seen how you've used part of it on your website today as well. So obviously some things you do in your video are going to be very crowdfunding specific, like talking about raising money. You're not going to do that you know, forever, right? But a lot of the B-roll or, or footage that you shoot of the product and use, if you spend money up front to get it as to be beautiful footage, you can later use that for marketing footage on your website and a Facebook campaign and your Amazon page, et cetera. So I think it's ultimately money well spent in the upfront phase. And I can say that, you know, we do, we are video marketers. We don't do much in the crowdfunding space. That's not our world. It's not a selfish way of saying that, but we've helped a lot of people come out of crowdfunding and, and grow beyond their businesses at that point. And, and when they have great video footage already, oh, it makes it so much easier for that, for that next phase of growth afterwards. The other piece too, I think I'm going to put this in our show notes is you talked about it being fast and furious. That's a great way to describe it of, you know, you've got it. It's such a different animal launching a Kickstarter or, or crowdfunding campaign, because as you said, you solidify, you, you explain it so well in a short amount of words, right? You've got to have this big audience ready to go as soon as you start your, your campaign to have quick success. 
unlike other marketing channels, right? On Amazon, on Facebook, you can go slowly, right? So you can take it, learn, optimize as you go, et cetera. You just don't have that luxury if you choose to do crowdfunding to begin with. So after you, you got, you raised, you met, you met your goal, you, you achieved where you, at least, you know, the minimum of what you needed or wanted to be at, then talk to me what happened next. So where did you go after Kickstarter, after your campaign ended? What was the next step to start growing this business? Sure. Well, I did reach out to Indiegogo and it turns out with Indiegogo, if you've had a successful Kickstarter campaign, met your goal, you can then sell on Indiegogo. Now this was a few years ago, so I don't know if they've changed anything. Yep. So it still works that way. Yeah. So that, that was really helpful. Uh, it kind of drove more sales. Uh, uh, you know, I was still working the Kickstarter after the campaign, but Indiegogo. And then uh, I think my first um, you know, I started getting other companies um, reaching out to them. And one was Zulily. Uh, I know I was on that and Touch of Modern. And they do a, a specific selling campaign for X amount of weeks. And um, so that was that was really helpful. You, you kind of get a bump in your sales. Uh, but probably the biggest one, I kind of held off at first, um, Amazon. The sooner you get your product on Amazon, you'll get constant revenue. And that is key. You need to get it out there. You need to start... Uh, you know, the sooner you can get those reviews uh, coming in, the sooner your product starts to uh, improve. And, um, you know, it's just anything like that. Amazon, it was, it was, it's definitely a game changer. And I've been doing Amazon Canada. Um, another thing that uh, we found success with is um, influencer campaigns. Um, hmm. uh, you know, that's been, a, that's been very good. Uh, you know, especially um, you got, you got, you got, got to get your product in the right hands of people that are going to talk about it. Uh, make sure that um, they're posting on Instagram or Facebook, but uh, the sooner that happens, then you can drive sales to Amazon and, uh, and, and your website and, uh, and definitely get in there. Um, right now I'm working towards uh, brick and mortar. You know, uh, that, that's my goal right now is to, to, to increase the, the brick and mortar opportunities and, and just get it out in front of more people. Fantastic. So you talk about influencers. I want to dive a little bit further on, into that one. Um, we get a lot of questions about influencers as a, as a way to you know, grow your business, as a secondary strategy, whatever you want to call it. And some people wade into those waters and never find success. Others, it's gangbusters and really turns around their business. So you've had some success there. What, do you, what, what tips or advice do you have for businesses that might be considering an influencer style strategy? Sure. Um, I mean, we work with influencers, you know, we, we, we pay them, you know, um, for every sale. The hard part is uh, it's, it's difficult to, um, to, to track that because if it goes to Amazon, we can't, we can't track that. It has to yep. go through your website through a code of some sort. Um, but it's, it's not always, a, it's, it's not that influencers are looking for uh, just to, to gain, gain funds that way. It's also they need content. They need content to uh, their audience. So they're also excited just to show a new product, you know? Um, and uh, so you just have to keep trying and, and finding more and more influencers and they don't have to be influencers with like a hundred thousand followers. You know, we've had success where um, I think one influencer, uh, she was a hairstylist. Uh, I think she only had like a thousand followers, but she threw a video up on TikTok, and we've gotten like 8 million views. Wow. So, you know, and, and, even with the 8 million views, you think that you would, you know, sell 50,000 units, not the case. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things in marketing, you know, people have to see a product 
five, six, seven times before they consider buying, most people. So uh, it's just the constant working on getting more exposure. You know, focus on more exposure, and it's, it's, a, it's a long game. That's the, that's the key to entrepreneurship. It's a long game, not a short game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned TikTok. I think, again, we get a lot of questions around that. And it's, it's, uh, there's so many, TikTok is one, but there's so many different marketing channels to choose from. How do, you, how do you decide where to go first, right? And the nice thing about incorporating influencers into your efforts, right? So again, maybe not everything that you're doing, but all of a sudden now, if you have no expertise on TikTok, you find an influencer that does, and all of a sudden you've got 8 million views, right? And it's, I will say, what, no matter how good you are, unless you've got a massive following, of course, right, which can be very expensive to hire that type of influencer. But if you spread the field out, some will take off and some won't. It's hard to predict. But if you put the net out there and give enough opportunities for influencers to really take this on, a couple of them are going to pop, right? You'll get that one with 8 million views. And it's hard to predict in the beginning what that's going to be. But it's, it's much more difficult if, if you try to do this on your own and make one video, we've got to make you know, millions of views behind this, the odds are against you. But if you can cast this wide net, now all of a sudden you've got more chances to quote unquote go viral or you know, really start spreading your message out there. So it's a, it's a great way to think about it. It's more of a PR approach in many ways. So what's, the, what's been the hardest part? I guess maybe what surprised you as you launched this business, you know, you, coming at it from an engineering perspective? Yeah. So uh, it's funny, uh, you know, as an engineer, you think, okay, I'm going to make this great product and it's going to be an improvement and uh, I'll make it with some fun colors. And uh, what you don't realize, you think that the engineering part, overall, the technical, getting the tooling made, getting the manufacturing, do I make it in China? Do I make it in the US? You know, all those decisions, uh, fulfillment, that's going to be the hardest. By far, the hardest part is the sales and marketing. You know, getting the product made that's essentially the beginning like it's not the end it's the beginning right and and now that's when the hard work begins that's when you got to figure out uh, you know if if you can't do the marketing and sales who are you going to team up with how are you going to find somebody that is um not going to rip you off i've experienced that before um and and, and take you for a ride you know you gotta uh find find a team or, or a person that that is willing to work with you um and, and build that, that marketing plan, build the, the sales pipeline um, and, and, and find somebody that, that you can trust. Um, that, that's probably one of the best uh, pieces of advice, but you're gonna need somebody if you're not in marketing or sales, uh, it definitely helps to have somebody, um, like for me, I'm not into social media, right? I need somebody that's gonna post social media for me um, because it will never happen otherwise. Um. <laughs> well, and, and, and happen well, right? So even if we do have the time or take the time to do it, if we don't know what we're doing, you know, it's not our world we spend every, every day. And then having somebody that knows what they're doing can save you a lot of money in the long run, right? Just by avoiding mistakes that we might make on our own. Absolutely. So if you, if you kind of rewind and you're launching a new product today, you know, think of something beyond the big squeeze, the next product, right? What would you do differently in your product launch? Well, um, one one of the on the technical side, one of the one of the mistakes I made was um, uh, not doing enough analysis of the parts, and so uh, it kind of bit me in the end. It was only going to cost a few hundred bucks um, to to do more of a technical analysis of the strength of the parts, and um, uh, I, I skipped that thinking, oh yeah, it's plenty strong, don't worry about it. Make sure 
going in that everything is is correct. If not, it's going to cost you a lot more uh, on the back end. Um, that, that's that's definitely key. And then, like I said earlier, just be aware that there's going to be a lot of other components to it that are going to surprise you, and, and you're going to uh, the the cost of you know X Y Z uh, is going to cost cost more than you thought. Um, definitely uh, uh, estimate your 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 cost is going to be higher. Your your even though your revenue you might have um, uh, assume that you're going to have this much revenue. Um, back it off, right? I mean, yep. plan on not making, uh, having all the all the cash to, to get there, and being being cost conscious with everything. You know, obviously you want to drive the cost down, but um, you know, uh, you might have a little bit extra savings in there so that when things don't go as planned, be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, before you talked about the importance of marketing and how that surprised you, you know, it, it's I, I, it's really a double-edged sword if we think about it, right? The importance of product quality and the importance of good marketing, right? So you really need both, right? No matter how good your marketing is, if you've got a crappy quality product, people are going to buy it, send it back, or tell others about it, especially in this world, right? Word spreads fast, especially for for bad products, right? If there's problems with them. So it's it's that importance of having both of those two. And I think you mentioned how, you know, being careful with your money. And that's, uh, that's another area to, to think about where I think you mentioned two things, right? So one is be careful with your money. The other is maybe we should have done that test to prove it out at the beginning, right? So find out, you know, set up priorities. You can't, you can't do everything, right? You just can't. There's not enough resources or time to be able to do that, but you've got to pick your battles and find out, okay, which, which areas are going to make sure that this is going to be a great quality product. It's going to be loved by consumers and then making sure I've got money left over to market it in a good way. So these consumers hear about it and, and you know, everything else is kind of fluff or noise in the background and some costs, if it can be avoided, can, can help you to, to focus on the right things with your business. So we, uh, what rec- or what resources uh, would you recommend? What has helped you in terms of books or podcasts or seminars or whatever it might be that you has been helpful for your business that you'd like to recommend to our audience? Sure, sure. Uh, definitely the, the the four hour work week, um, and uh, help me there. Uh, I'm forgetting the author's name there. Uh, Timothy Ferris. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, it just really uh, helps you focus and realize that you know you can get a lot done in a very short amount of time. Uh, now, granted, are you going to get there to like an actual four hour work week as an entrepreneur? Definitely not in the beginning. Uh, don't expect that. Um, maybe over years you could get there. Uh, but um, he has a lot of good advice and, um, you know, to try to hone in on what's important and focus on the things that are going to move the dial. Um, you know, the, the, those, uh, that was a really good book to, um, to read. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And I think, you know, the, the crux or summary of that book is not about getting to four hours. It's about building systems that work for you that, you know, whether that's through employees or he talks a lot about virtual assistants, you know, people that aren't necessarily with W2 employees on your, on your payroll, but how do you use other resources to help grow your business and, you know, keep support your business so you can sit back and focus on whether it's, you know, he, in his life, he talks about, you know, taking time off, right. Vacations, et cetera. Right. In, in a lot of CEOs' minds, okay, if I can, the less I can spend on the minutiae of the business, the more I can spend on the strategy of it and really even catapult the growth even further. So I think it's, yeah, a lot of great learnings in there. Even if, you know, you, you read the title and you think, well, you know, I don't really want to work just four hours a week or whatever. There's more I want to do with my life and even in, in terms of work, et cetera, there's still a lot of great nuggets in there. I appreciate that. 
Is, is there anything, Steve, that I didn't ask in this interview that you think could be helpful for our audience? Uh, you know, like, like I said earlier, um, you know, there's, there's always going to be items that, that catch you off guard. For me, it was the fact that uh, marketing and sales, that was the really important part that I just assumed it was the easy part. Uh, that's actually the harder part. How do you set up your, your, um, uh, your channels, your sales channels, and, and have a strategy going in? Like, you know, when I first started, I thought, oh, this is a product for everybody. Anybody could buy a big squeeze. Well, at the price point, you know, I sell it, uh, it retails for MSRP at $39.99. That, mo- a lot of people, you know, that are just squeezing it for toothpaste aren't going to buy it because realistically, it doesn't make all that much sense. You know, the, the break-even period is going to take a while. But um, when you start to realize, okay, what are my markets? P- pick a market. Pick one, maybe two. I p- picked uh, uh, art um, artists and hairstylists because they use not only a lot of, lot of items in a tube, but it's expensive. So really hone in. Try to pick one market. Like, who's going to buy it? Don't just, like, make a product. You know, at first, I just made a product thinking that people are just going to buy it right? Because it makes sense. It saves you money. It saves you time. Well, there's got to be more than that. You know, hone in, understand your market, understand the people, the, the age range, uh, male, female, you know, really, really dive down and figure out what, you know, what your market is and then go after that market and then slowly add into another market, you know, um, and go from there. But you have to really be focused uh, on who you're selling it to. Because as an engineer, I just, didn't think of the marketing. You know, I was like, oh, it's been out there for, the, the competitor has been out there for 40 years. Well, they've been able to do it for 40 years. Why can't I do it, right? Well, that's not a good enough business plan. That doesn't, that doesn't cut it. Luckily, I, you know, I've lucked out because I've been able to find my market after the fact, but focus in on that market. That's good. I think to add to that, you know, the words I like to use are pain points, right? We'll find these big pain points where, and in you, in your world, you found that it's, you know, it's saving, truly saving money, making it easier, but in the products that will really save them a lot of money, the more expensive products like hairstylists, like paints or artist, uh, artist tools, et cetera. So yeah, great, great way of saying that. So I, I do want to encourage our audience. This is a great product. At a minimum, check check it out at their website, bigsqueeze.com. And if you use the promo code HARVESTGROWTH, one word, then you'll be able to save 10% on any purchase that you have from their website. So please support Steve and at least checking out his website. And again, this the URL, discount code, everything's in the show notes. Also, be sure to check out harvestgrowthpodcast.com to see other episodes we've recorded And if you like this episode, you want to learn more about how you can profitably grow your consumer product business, please subscribe to our show and leave us a review at iTunes or Google Play. Steve, thanks again. Thanks, John.